First name, Mister. Last name, Ass. God damn it, you took my bit. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to the pod people, the show where things happen and we talk about them. Um, I was going to say Mr. Ass Matisse Van Rossum, but <laughs> Cleveland took that from me. I am... Uh, it's low-hanging fruit, I understand. Dennis? No, I'm uh, Barry? No, I'm Hedwig? No, I, I actually, I think I'm Ben Sheets. I'm the Beanst. <laughs> there we go, that's the one. I'm the Bored. It's like the Horde, but Bored, because... Oh, I see. No, yeah. that was... I was gonna... Uh, yeah. I didn't think that was good until you explained it. Yeah, yeah. thank you. You're thank you for that. Um, you know, I, like most things, they're better after you've explained them fully. I, I'm Cleveland Mosier, uh, regretfully. The Bored. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we're here to talk about everybody's favorite uh, master of the arcane and the confusing M. Night Shyamalan. And we're talking about the Unbreakable trilogy. Even though Unbreakable is not really a horror movie, we kind of have to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, I was going to mention this too. You know, like, even though it totally isn't a horror movie, we kind of have to talk about it because of the other movies. Yeah, well, I mean, also, I, I do think in terms of M. Night Shyamalan, like, he's made a lot of very decisively horror movies, uh, Unbreakable was his second film, so I do think it 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 bears talking about in terms of his career because I do think it's a significant movie in his career. For a while, I would consider it his best. I don't, I don't know if it's aged the best, and we'll get into this a little bit more. But it is still very strong. I yeah, in in terms of in terms of his canon, I I would agree. I think it does still have a lot of problems, and I I think that The Sixth Sense is still a better movie, but only for the reason that it has fewer problems than Glass, and then his career just goes like really sharply downhill from there. He uh he has still continued to make movies though, um because I guess they make profit even though. No, people love M. Night. For some reason, his movies uh, always do really well, even though they don't have the greatest longevity. Like, I remember when Lady in the Water came out, everybody was super hype about it, but does How? anybody remember that movie? I, it's just a, I, I blacked it out, I think. I'm gonna give a quick, slight defense of M. Night. Okay. Um, obviously, there are exceptions to this, uh... I think is very later of the the bad streak are the big exceptions, you know, Avatar and After Earth. Avatar but I would say I would say even when M Night is bad, making bad movies, usually they're uh just a convoluted train wreck and at least they have some entertainment value from that. Train wreck is a great word to describe that, and I think it ties in perfectly into the beginning of Unbreakable. Hey, hey nice segue. <laughs> I like that. Um, Snaps. So, Unbreakable is a could loosely be called a, a superhero movie before the uh, the superhero renaissance kicked off. Uh, shortly thereafter, stars Bruce Willis as a man who discovers that he is uh, basically superhumanly invincible after he survives a a train crash and is the only survivor. And he's contacted by a guy who really likes comic books, who tries to tell him that he's a superhero. Yeah, as as, um, films go, I mean, as M. Night's films go, it's 
probably the one I might recommend the most, maybe after Sixth Sense. Uh... I would say that that Unbreakable is his most grounded film. Yeah, yeah, it's his most subdued in a lot of ways. Which is, um, it's very atmos- it's very atmospheric. You know, he definitely lingers a lot of times within scenes to give them breathing room, time to contemplate a little bit and i really appreciate that in this movie because it makes the movie as a whole feel much less convoluted than most of m night's other stuff Well, what i what i also like about it and i agree with all of that but another thing that i really appreciate about unbreakable is that it exists at least unbreakable does i think exists mostly in our world where there's a healthy dose of skepticism about people with superpowers and it's not just something like any of the myriad of superhero movies where such and such happens gives person superpowers they go on to like be a, a do-gooder you know mm-hmm. with this there's there's a lot of room for for doubt and i think that's a huge arc of the story is Bruce Willis having to come to terms with the fact that he does have superhuman abilities because a lot of it can be sort of put off to to coincidence. And I think that that's what really grounds it in the real world and that Samuel L. Jackson's character is seen as a kook for thinking that people with superpowers exist. The way they frame uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character's origin really helps with that a lot. His big character trait is he has brittle bone disease, um, so his bones are very thin and fragile. The first scene in the movie we get is of him being born, and they thought they dropped him because right. when he was uh, being born, it, he was it squeezed broke, and yeah, it, it broke, broke his arms and legs. Yeah, I, I think the the start of Unbreakable is very good, and what I like too is that. With that, and then with a couple of other flashbacks with his early childhood, we still have not seen him as an adult up to that point. It's like you're getting these flashbacks to a character that you haven't been introduced to yet. That's kind of setting up that origin story for when we finally do meet him as an adult, which I think is is really effective, especially trying to look at it from the perspective of coming into it not knowing the story and the legacy of the movie. Yeah, and they really emphasize that skepticism that you were talking about earlier and how they portray him because, you know, he's kind of reclusive in his childhood because he's so fragile. Right, and he can't go out and play, so he he falls into a love of comic books. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that framing is really strong. And then he starts to believe that if there can be somebody like him who's overly fragile, more fragile than your average person, then at the opposite end of the spectrum, there must be somebody who is you know, superhumanly powerful and, and yeah. strong. No, the definitely put a put a sort of a bow on that premise. The film's the film's realism uh and and grounded quality definitely um makes those superhuman feats and those those moments of fantasy that much more believable and more powerful for it like you you really get a that childlike sense of wonder when when Bruce Willis's character does you know start you know achieving these these great feats right and we've got his young son who is 
basically who pushes him to keep exploring, you know, his abilities. Because obviously a, a child is much more inclined to believe in superheroes than an adult. So that's really the reason that he doesn't just write it off is that his kid keeps pushing him. Like when the scene when he's lifting weights in the basement and they keep putting on more weight and he realizes that he can lifts like really ridiculous amounts of weight that he never would even try yeah definitely and i think i think that method of framing it very slowly um is such a good way of doing it i think it's really strong in making it seem believable yeah right? it's, it's exposition isn't heavy-handed um all the events that occur feel relatively natural and yeah. you know believable enough uh and i think yeah it's, it's definitely the strong the strongest point of this film. What did you guys think of the the child actor that played his son? A little obnoxious, but in the way that a, a child would be, not necessarily from a run aspect of bad acting or poor acting. That was fine. Yeah, I kind of agree. Like a, a bit of a, like Cleveland said, a bit obnoxious, but overall inoffensive. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't think he was terribly bad. I think bringing him back for glass which we'll talk about was a was bit a more choice. of a train wreck but just, we'll get into that glass was a bad choice but yeah <laughs> spoilers we'll, we'll dig deeper on that if you're m night Shyamalan, that's called foreshadowing apparently oh okay one one thing i i want to talk about uh about unbreakable that i really appreciate especially in its subtlety is the way that it shot i don't know if you guys noticed this but a lot of times in the movie there will be physical things in the frame that sort of create comic book panels yes Mm-hmm. which uh, is something that I, I really, really like, especially because they don't go out of their way to point it out. Like, it's not overdone or heavy-handed. Yeah, in Unbreakable, just, it's great. Right. Just just <laughs> the way that they'll frame something, it's like, okay, there's a there's a, a, a door, you know, there's a door frame framing the action. So it's like a comic book panel, because, you know, the whole thing with Mr. Glass, believing that comic books... Are well, that that was something that I didn't like very much. That Mr. Glass thinks that uh, comic books are the last remnants of visual storytelling, and that that they're uh, the idea of superheroes comes from people throughout time having supernatural powers and them drawing it. I mean, the framing was pretentious, but the the point does still hold through. I mean, like pictographic imagery like came before the written word like i mean yeah sure but also like by the time that comic books were a thing there were also there was also photography and there was film and it's like the way he he talks about is like it's the last remnant of of pictographic storytelling and like no it's not no no that's yeah it's 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 definitely not no um, I, I would I would say that the original forms of pictographic storytelling are the last remnant of themselves. Yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs> exactly. My uh, my favorite scene with uh, Mr. Glass in Unbreakable. Well, not my favorite, but a scene that really stuck out to me is when uh, he has like a big comic book art collection, and he's like a curator of this exhibition at a museum, and he has a rich guy that comes in to uh, look at uh, different selections of prints. Like original and, comic artwork. And he does yeah. a great job yeah, explaining prints, like the original, like, explaining drawings. Yeah, the, uh, the details of why a villain was you know, drawn this way and why the hero was drawn another way. And then uh, the, the guy says, oh yeah, this will be perfect for, to get for my kid. 
and Mr. Glass just... Uh, he flips his shit. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was uh, kind of... You know, at first it bothered me, but, you know, in a way it really expanded the character in a lot of ways. You know, it showed his insecurity of his beliefs. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a sore subject for him that people still consider comics childish when he's literally built his entire life around them um it's yeah it's it's good character development whether i agree with his his opinions or not it is the the right way to set up his character i think it comes as no surprise to anybody by the end when he turns out to be the villain he does behave sort of villainously throughout doesn't do anything overtly villainous but i i don't think it's all that much of a twist when it's it's revealed at the end that he's the one who's set up all of the accidents all over Philadelphia to uh, to try to find that one the the single soul survivor. He has to find somebody who actually has superpowers. Yeah, so he can become the villain. Yeah, I think while it's not a surprise, I do I do feel it's effective. Um, or at least when I was very young and I watched it the first time, it 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 definitely when I was much more impressionable, it it, it struck me very powerfully. Watching it you know, this, this last week, it's hard you know, to say. It, it's very hard to say. The, yeah. movie's, and, the movie's 19 uh, years but old. What, so. what I will say is like the, the core mechanism of that, uh, of him being a true comic book villain is him, you know, like destroying the train and whatnot. And the train, right. the train events are understated enough. And when they are brought up, they're used as a mechanism to explain Bruce's ability. Uh, and, and they never feel heavy handed or brought up for any reason. So sure. It's never, yeah. never feel clued in on that. Like, no, I, I, I agree. Which is good. Yeah. And I think, I think, as a kid, much like you, and obviously the the gap in years makes a difference, but it surprised me a little bit because he's uh, Mr. Glass is framed as such a fragile uh, mentor character in a lot of ways. It is true. It is kind of hard to tell whether he's like villainous or just sort of M. Night edgy. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, he almost has kind of a Professor X type of thing going on where he's trying to facilitate the development of this superhero yeah yeah yeah. in that respect it kind of surprises you if we want to jump into the ending really quick a little bit more yeah um i will say the ending is incredibly abrupt and i think anticlimactic that that's my biggest problem with the reveal of Mr. Glass as the villain is it happens so abruptly. And it is very ham-fisted. Well, right, yeah. He, he, Bruce Willis yeah. goes to, when Bruce Willis goes to his uh, his exhibition, he just goes into the back room to talk to the, Sam The Jackson, open office. The open office where he just has, like, blueprints and stuff for, like, blowing up buildings and shit. Just, like, just hanging up, yeah. you know. Technical bomb-making devices. Yeah, uh, yeah. all the, the fucking news clippings yep. from all of the accidents that have happened. It's, like, a, this it's, is, a... it's just out. It's just out. It's a potpourri of terrorism. Like it's just, it's just a whole visual, right? You know, and then ensemble to... of I'm the villain, and it's so. And for for such a film steeped and framed in realism, those moments, and to have him have him do the villainous monologue about how 
every every hero needs a nemesis so he styled himself as a nemesis to in order to find the hero that he can go against but then for it to just end with bruce willis like turning around and walking out with tears in his eyes and then uh, a fucking title card explaining that he then went to the police and got mr glass yeah it's arrested. like this <laughs> and then the credits mr glass's defining trait is he's supposed to be smart as fuck yeah, he just immediately lets himself get apprehended. Arrested. Yeah, for exactly. This. It's like what the fuck? You just undermine the whole development of and the that, character. And that like and that like Bruce Willis is supposed to be like a superhero. Like we see him embracing that before that, you know, going out in his rain poncho, which is his version of the the cape because his only weakness is water and the poncho keeps the water off of him or whatever, uh which is also extremely stupid. But that he embraces being a hero and like taking vigilante justice into his own hands much like batman but then at the end he just goes to the police <laughs> like that <laughs> it, yeah. it's so anticlimactic like, even even then it's like they it's almost I, like they the, the original script had like a showdown and then they ran out of budget and they're like oh fuck we're out of money well i guess we'll just end it right here yeah like even for M. Night's, like, better films, like this one, and, um, Signs, and, uh, the rest. Like, there's just this weird through line with water, where M. Night feels like he's the first person to ever be poetic about water. And right, I, I, yeah. It, it, it's always bothered me. And I, and I think that it's a, it's a stupid weakness for Bruce Willis to have as well. Mm -hmm. Because, especially... The way they originally frame it is like, oh, your bones don't break, you know, you don't get sick, you're really strong, but you can still drown in water. It's like they frame it like it's, okay, water does to you what it does to everybody else, but then it's like when he gets wet, he actually becomes physically weaker, it seems like, and that, I think, is incredibly stupid. Yeah, yeah. they kind of play it fast and loose with the rules on how yeah. exactly that works. Well, that's the, that's the thing about Unbreakable, is that, like, right as it's starting to really pick up its momentum, it starts to feel rushed. Like, they're like, oh, shit, we gotta wrap this up. You yeah. know what I mean? I and, think that's my biggest problem with yeah. Unbreakable. And, and to Unbreakable's credit, it's nebulous enough, and it's it's uh it's trimmed enough that it's it's fast and loose playing with the world building is acceptable like it, it gets a pass uh it's it's when it it's when it stops being subtle that it stops being effective yeah, yeah. <laughs> i will say you know i'm glad that they didn't have a big climactic showdown in a lot of ways you oh, know same. like obviously in a lot of ways, you can't really do that I mean, because the was just Mr. Not Glass cards. is brittle bone. Yeah, but that's all it is. Just don't don't do sudden title cards. Just actually wrap up the movie, right? Like let's let's see what happens. You know, instead of exactly like you said, just having title cards to tell us what happened after Bruce Willis walked out of that room with tears in his eyes. You know. Which is also confusing to me because it's not. It's like he has throughout the entire film considered. Sam Jackson's character largely antagonistic, but he seems so hurt and betrayed at the end when he discovers the truth that I just didn't buy. It's like you nope. haven't trusted this man from the beginning. Like, why are you so? Why do you feel so betrayed by him? But anyway, that's besides the point. Y'all want to rate this and move on? Yeah, we might as well. You start, Ben. Um, so I think this is a really strong uh, outing. I used to think it was M. Night's best. Uh, it hasn't aged quite as well as I was hoping, especially with that third act uh, being so 
anticlimactic to say the least but i do think it's a really strong movie really well shot really well paced um i'm gonna give it a three and a half i think it's a solid outing i agree with that pretty much wholeheartedly i i think that if you can say one thing about m night Shyamalan's career is that he gets way too much up into his own head and loses the the down-to-earth aspect that's needed for a lot of his stories. And I think that, along with The Sixth Sense, Unbreakable does that the best out of all of his movies. It is the most grounded um, and is the most believable in a lot of senses. Um, and, I mean, hell, like, Bruce Willis and, and Sam Jackson do a good job together. You know, they give good performances. Oh, yeah. Um, so I, it's definitely, I think, one of his best, if not the best. Um, I'm also going to give it a three and a half out of five overall. Uh, ditto that. Yeah, three and a half. I think uh, younger me would have probably given it a 4.5 and adult me is, you know. Yeah, I, I think I think it has aged a little bit poorly and I think not that... not too poorly. Not terribly. I think this this trilogy hurts it and we'll, we'll get oh, more... Oh, yeah. We'll get more well, into yes. that. But the fact that they had to turn Unbreakable into a trilogy I think makes it age worse than anything else. But that's a unanimous three and a half out of five pods for Unbreakable. Mm-hmm. And now let's move on to Split. I would say that this is the only one of the three that I think is truly a horror movie through and through. Yeah, uh, Glass was billed as a horror movie in a lot of ways, but it kind of abandons that premise. And we'll get into that a little bit more. But I would say, I would agree, Split is the most directly horror of the three um it came out in when did it come out last year no no 2016 has it been that long oh yeah it was 2016 so split came out a couple years ago um stars james mcavoy as a a man with um did which is dissociative identity disorder i believe um, kidnaps three girls and holds them hostage in an undisclosed location for what is initially an undisclosed but sinister-sounding purpose. I did see this movie in theaters, and I thought it was okay. I think it has a lot of potential to be a really good film, but I think it it becomes too much of a fucking M. Night Shyamalan movie at the end and does a lot to hurt itself. See, in a lot of ways, this movie's funny because I agree with you, but in a way, I also think the opposite. I think this movie could have been an absolute train wreck if it wasn't for uh, James McAvoy's well, yeah. excellent performance in it. Yeah, I th- think in a lot of ways he does a lot of the heavy lifting in this movie, All considering he has lifting. to play so many different characters. Yeah, I would say James McAvoy and the sound design. Uh, some might disagree. I mean, like you could, you could definitely perceive the, the sound design is a little bit too, you know, impact heavy. But, I would say uh, the set design as well. I think, I think the think set design is, set, is fantastic. The set, the sound design, and James McAvoy are are powerhouses of this movie. I think that while ultimately I don't think this is one of M. Night Shyamalan's best movies, I do think that it has some of, by far, the best moments in any of his films. Yes. Um, uh, I've had about a week to think about it, but honestly, I still feel the same way I did about it after the credits rolled, and I think that it's a good film in spite of M. Night Shyamalan. 
Uh, Every element I enjoyed about this film were not necessarily directly associated with direction. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think on the flip side, there were a lot of strong choices that were made within the directing style of this movie. I think the opening scene of this movie is pretty incredibly strong. The pacing as well, yeah. Yeah. Um, The way James McAvoy kidnaps the girls um, is shot just so tensely. Oh, yeah. And the way... uh, All the camera work inside the car, the girl looking, you know, like back behind the rearview mirror and... Uh, seeing the takeout boxes mm-hmm. dropped on the trunk and then hearing the car door open and somebody sit down in the passenger seat and then looking over and realizing that it's mm-hmm. not the girl's dad yeah. and it's the stranger. And it was nice because we get to look over with her. And right. It, it's, no, I think yeah, I think all of that was handled really well. Um, I, I, I do think that there are some, some, some strong directorial choices in this. Uh, like I said, I, I think... I think this movie really had the potential to be by far the greatest thing that M. Night Shyamalan ever did, but he he did that thing that he always does where he has to play into his reputation after the sixth sense of every movie having a twist. Like, that's his gimmick, and I, I think that with the sixth sense, he got lucky. I think that that has ultimately been what hurt his career as a whole, is the need to have to be, like, a cerebral filmmaker and, like, take the audience by surprise. And usually that's what makes the movies that he's doing stupid in the end. Mm-hmm. I would say that... Of all the M. Night Shyamalan movies I've seen, which are most of them except for The Last Airbender and After Earth, the third act is almost always what makes the movie fail. Yeah. Except for things like fucking Lady in the Water and The Happening, which are pretty fucking stupid throughout. The Happening, at least in a funny way. But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but, like, that's the thing is that, and I think that Split is an excellent example of that because I would say that for the most, like, 80%, 80%, 80 to 90% of the first two acts are incredibly solid filmmaking. And most of it is carried by James McAvoy's performance. And that's one of those things where you can't, it's hard to say whether it comes down to the direction or whether James McAvoy is just such a good actor that he can be good no matter who directs him. That I I don't know for sure. Yeah, well, I mean... I, I I will give M Night some credit because he did write this as well. Yeah. So it is his vision in a lot of ways. Ultimately, I, I, ultimately, some of that is his undoing in the third act. But throughout a lot of it, the directorial choices are very much in his ground because of that. Yes, I will. I will say that uh, throughout the beginning of the film, I was fairly displeased by some of the world building. I think all. I think the setting associated with the girls was fine. I think that was that was fine, if not great. Um, and with Crumb as well, like, the approach to him, especially at the beginning, where we're not as keyed into what he is, and we sort of have to learn it through the girl's eyes. I enjoyed all of that. What I did not like was the world building with the therapist. Yes. I thought she was a nightmare, and I thought that was horrible writing. Yeah, like, I agree. Uh, and I avoided this movie for a good while, because DID is, like, a legitimate condition. And hopefully that's the right word. I don't want to, you know, put anybody off. But I, I, it's a legitimate thing. And there are plenty of functioning people with DID. And to kind of turn that into a, a horror creature is, is kind of unfortunate to me. And I know that the film frames it differently than that. But I wanted to do a little bit more research on that and see, like, what the psychiatric community felt about this movie. And I found an article where they interviewed 
the person who was brought on as a consultant for the film. And by that, I mean they had two dinners with M. Night, wanted to have more chances to talk with them about the script. M. Night dropped contact with them. And the person, the the specialist was offering uh, to do interviews with the actors and give them some more feedback and insight on it. And they, they weren't interested. So Shyamalan wrote this film without any real grounding or uh, research from or, or input from like the the psychiatric community on this film when he had the opportunity to. And I see that as a pretty big oversight I, and it shows in the writing. I I don't have a huge problem with that. I'm going to be a bit hyperbolic here, but I see the desire to want hard realism uh, almost as like similar to Neil deGrasse Tyson wanting all the stars to be accurate in the sky, you know, like it, isn't accurate in a lot of movies, but does it really matter as long as the movie is interesting? And movies don't necessarily have to be real, you know? I think the common ground between those two things is that it would be a problem if the the treatment of DID was insensitive, and I don't think it was. Regardless of whether M. Night had access to an authority on it and and chose to not use that or not i do think that his his treatment of the disorder is not insensitive i don't think he made people with did out to be monstrous the the reason i think it no, works i agree with that he makes crumb out to be monstrous instead and i and i and i do appreciate well, not, that and not acknowledge even that. not even specifically facets of his personality are or more yeah. more 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 specifically a single facet mm-hmm. of his personality is truly monstrous right which isn't generally how daddy works which again is is fine you know generally uh but i think he is to that and and i think and that's that's i think the word that i would use is it's it's not offensive you know like and it it does it almost tries to uh in a way like glorify did I didn't hate it. It didn't. It didn't really bother me. But I, I do think that it is a little bit more complex than just comparing it to like Neil deGrasse Tyson and his points on. Like, oh, I was being hyperbolic, like I said. No, I, you I, know, I, but... I recognize that, and I, I. But I think it's it's important to also recognize like there's a political difference as well. The scientific community isn't is necessarily negatively affected when a action space movie where the where it isn't framed as realism is placed. But in Shyamalan's films, like there there is a greater framework of sure i think a lot of that is mitigated in this movie because of how strong mcavoy's performance was i think if they had a lesser actor it would have felt more like a caricature oh this film than it does you know yeah no i i i agree with that because i think i think james mcavoy does a great job of not making that character out to be exactly what you just said a caricature he's not cartoonish He's believable, and I think he's also sympathetic. I want to talk more about the therapist character because that's another big problem that I have with the movie is that she's basically just Dr. Exposition. I think this movie would have been a lot stronger if it had been a singular location. If we had just, once he kidnapped the girls and took them to this this bunker place that we had just stayed there, I think we could you could have developed a lot of the, the exposition that this therapist 
just I, fully, I, mean, I think a lot I of that boss? exposition still is even addressed with Crumb. Like, he mentions a lot of the same things, and I think it would have been more powerful if it was only just from him where that speculation I agree. Um, I think M. Night probably had that for the same reason you were talking about with the ignorance stuff, is people don't know a lot about DID. And his intent with the, with the, the therapist. therapist was most likely to try to give a more well-rounded portrait of to what have, that yeah. Is. And I think to have some, a sim- and in a, a way that works, yeah. but it, I wish it wasn't there. Yeah, and I that that's it's mostly because, because I don't mind that the ignorance is there. Well, you know? see, here's the thing: is like you said, that was utilized as a mechanism to try and defer from this just being a DID monster film, which is exactly why it should have been better researched. <laughs> like for those sequences, like if that was the goal and the, like the purpose of that character, then. I, I see you know, what you're saying. You could have just had her presented, like, because you could have. It, it, it also, it would have enhanced the realism to have the therapist instead just at doing a lecture about DID. You know, like having functional members of society with DID, and She's, it would have been more. I mean, realistic she did kind of have. No, that. she was doing a lecture about how DIDs were were X Men, like, and she was she was just turning that concept into fantasy again. Like, and that, well, yeah, that that's, sort of thing was bumbling I think and that's, silly. Yeah, I, and it could just been, the realism would have been better and fine. I like the idea of her having her character as someone to be an advocate for James McAvoy's character. Yeah, I think it's a good just, point. Just to, just to avoid those harmful generalizations that you're talking about. But where my problem comes in with her is exactly like you said, her needing to be uh, the one who explains the idea of people with multiple personalities being X-Men that the the different personalities can manifest different physical traits simply by their belief like that one of only one of uh James McAvoy's 24 identities has diabetes and has to have insulin shots and none of the others do or that some are nearsighted and have to wear glasses or the idea that the the twenty fourth personality is a superhuman monster for some reason that is there to protect him. I mean, I mean, they being, she yeah. she goes a right. little X Meny, but I do appreciate that there is still a healthy amount of skepticism towards whether the beast even exists. Uh, throughout you know yeah i i agree with that that's the stuff i don't have a problem with it's when at the end it's revealed that the beast does exist and that the beast can do everything that they say he can do that i think the movie gets really stupid yeah it's less effective because of those i i i'll I'll reference something another movie uh that we've talked about on the podcast uh red dragon either manhunter or red dragon whichever just the story you have the francis dollarhide character who believes that he is becoming something more powerful and higher evolved than than human that he's becoming the red dragon or whatever but in that it's never really any doubt that that is a delusion it's his it's his driving motivation and it makes his character interesting that he believes that there is this other persona of his that is more powerful than a man is but that he is ultimately still human is what makes that character compelling and i i totally agree with you and i i think the the issue we come into here is DID is a mental illness and uh because of that 
I th- I feel like a product of our time is walking on eggshells to not make that seem like uh like a villainous thing, right? Even I, exactly. if it's a villainous character. So I felt like. M. Night almost felt he had to put that stuff in. I wonder if this movie would have come out a decade or two before in the 90s or early 2000s, if it would have been more of a straight just in the basement type of thing. I think it's also a necessity that he set for himself in order to tie this into the unbreakable universe that's the problem yeah is that this, is that this it has to be because at the end it is revealed that it takes place in the same universe as unbreakable that the concept of people having superhuman abilities is real so if that if that was the goal the whole time then of course the beast does have to have superhuman abilities it's the what well, what hurts this well, movie is that it has to be tied into unbreakable yeah well the problem is less that that happened in the third act and more that it was you know referenced with the psycho the therapist character right. you know i think in itself having him actually become the beast at the end is not a bad thing no but you know that the beast has that the beast has superpowers if the alternative was you know we see a scene where he finally becomes the beast and maybe goes on a bit of a rampage but just as a man and that the beast is brought down by his failings of not being a superhuman would have been a much more interesting conclusion see, I wasn't to the e- film as a standalone. I, I wasn't even eventually. bothered by that to be honest i think the the problem I have with the beast is they showed too much. I think or just what they showed. Yeah, was I think having him be a larger than life supernatural entity is not a bad thing. I think that's a really interesting concept. Actually, I think the problem is we see him crawl on the walls and yeah. on the ceiling no, too that much. Is, you is know, really the... I think if it was if it left more to the imagination, that would have been much stronger as a whole. Well, even or even leaving it unclear whether he does have supernatural powers or or not, there actually being some something up for debate or up for interpretation, I would have even been fine with that. But like you said, it's what they show. It's having this this otherwise extremely interesting, well acted, in, uh, developed character with multiple personalities. You then have him fucking just getting real vascular and crawling on the wall and running back and forth in between the shadows and growling like an animal and it's fucking stupid yeah it's it's dumb as shit and also like let's use that as as an opportunity to segue into the beast's motivations for kidnapping these girls and what the beast believes in because i think that's another incredibly stupid part of this movie the beast believes that if you have never suffered, you are impure and deserve to be punished for that. But if you've had a hard life and you have literal scars on your body, that you are pure and that he is like a messiah for those yeah, people. Like what it made me feel like is you ever like hang out with like a, a shitty friend and uh, you're like, oh man, I had a really bad day today. And then they try and top your bad day. They want up your bad. Yeah, yeah, like I felt like that. Like this was like literally like you gain superpowers by wanting up people's bad in having a bad day competition. See, I, <laughs> I I thought that concept was silly, but at the same time, as a part of Kevin, you know, as a form of his psyche, 
it made a little more sense, you know, him suffering all of this pain and seeing it as a form of purity in part of his psyche in a way. Well, I suppose so, but you get that you get that from the fact that he has all of these other personas to begin with. Like we learned that that his first persona, Dennis, the OCD persona, developed when he was a child because keeping everything extremely neat and clean was a way to keep his mother from flying off the handle and beating him, you know? I don't have a problem with him developing all of these personas in order to protect his psyche. I think that makes sense, and I think that's good. But the idea that the the epitome of that is is a, a superhuman monster that believes that you are only pure if you have suffered, I think that is too heavy-handed and and stupid. If anything, it should be that he develops that persona in order to lash out at those that cause suffering mm -hmm. like rather rather than becoming an instrument of suffering yeah. like dr jekyll mr hyde has been done like fight right. club has been done like those those concepts have been addressed i don't know ultimately like the way i saw it is um and they get into this a little bit in glass which we'll talk about is the the beast's uh, said his primary goal was to protect Kevin. And as an element of his psyche, I, I, I feel like it shows the worldview in a lot of ways of such a broken psyche like that. But it's not just to protect Kevin. It's to show other people who are broken and damaged that they are superior to everybody else the beast is is supposed to be a messiah character yeah the other members of the horde who believe in the beast worship him as such and not to get too much into glass um but in glass we do see the beast presenting himself to other broken people supposed to be as somebody to follow mm -hmm. the the idea of of there needing to be a superiority aspect to it that yeah, I think yeah. is... I guess if I anything, is, I just saw that as as a form of human spite towards people who haven't it's, had just uh, like, pain like he has. No, the, and I can see that as an element of psyche. It's not the theme that's the problem. It's not like the being broken can make you stronger. I mean, like, there's... Well, cool I, I totally agree. The that. way it's like, presented it's, is heavy-handed, 100%. That's, that's, I think, but I, I wanted to talk about, a little more about that theme because I do think it's interesting, and I don't think it's necessarily stupid. I just think it's very heavy-handed how it's done. done. Yeah. I, I think it's I I agree with you. I think the theme is not is not bad, but I I, I think its presentation it's, is kind of it's, stupid. I think it's really stupid. I think the presentation that's I think if anything that's why I'm bothered by it is because I think it is a cool concept and it's just it's done so ham-fistedly with him screaming about being pure because of this like, and how he's about to and how he's about to kill Anya Taylor yeah. Joy and sees the scars from her sexually abusive uncle mm -hmm. on her body and just stops and lets her go because she is pure. It's, it's an un, it's an unsatisfying climax as far as I'm concerned. The fact that he explained it after seeing it was exactly. the worst part for Can't me, you know, yes. like the, the thing is it's so heavy handedly done. I don't have a problem that it's in the movie. I have a problem in how it's in the movie. Yeah. And that's the biggest problem, yeah. I, I think we all agree on I, that. I agree with that. This movie is is so strange for me because 
much like its its core premise, the movie feels like it's two distinctly different films. Like it it feels like it has DID. I think it it has some of the best and worst moments of of M Night Shyamalan's career, and the high points are so goddamn high but the low points are just so low. It ultimately makes the the finished product so middling for me. Same. As much as the times that I'm enjoying how fucking good it is. I'm also regularly groaning. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean, honestly, this movie does not bother me as much as you guys because I think it's so strong with James McAvoy that, like, it lets me give a little more leeway to the Shyamalanisms, I guess you could call them, um, because I think he gives such a good performance. Again, does most of the heavy lifting to yeah. the point where it makes some of that less egregious in comparison to something like The Visit, for example, where you have a lot of the same tropes, but less of a strong central character to carry it. Yeah, no, I, I, I can agree with that. Like, I, I've i seen this movie multiple times, and I do always appreciate its good moments very much, and they do keep me entertained. Like, I, I don't... I, I can't even say that I dislike this movie overall, but it's, it's the things that it does wrong that I think make them more egregious because of how close this movie comes to being a truly great film. I agree fully. Um, and and I, I'm going to go ahead and rate it if you guys yeah, are done. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Done. I think this is a um, good time. I, I, think, I think that this movie ultimately has more positives than negatives, but man, the negatives are are really bad for me and, and always hamper my enjoyment of the film overall. I'm going to give it a three out of five pods. James McAvoy is incredible in this movie, and the way that he is able to make the different personas feel like distinctly different characters and not just one actor doing a bunch of different voices and stuff like his his dedication and artifice in in making that role believable i think is is truly masterful and i think he's an incredible actor but you know it's got its problems yeah, I fully agree. I, I really wish I could just separate the two and just rate the film and then rate McAvoy's performance. McAvoy gets a five out of five. Like, yeah. McAvoy's fantastic in this film. I, I would the agree mo- with that. The movie outside of that is a two for me. I, you really do have to wade through some real just groaning moments in this movie. But there are s- some really fucking fantastic moments. And again, Anya Taylor-Joy just does a wonderful job, too. And yeah, uh, I think her character is underdeveloped, that. but I think she does a good job. Uh, 2.5. Uh, 2.5. 2.5? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I guess I liked it the most out of all of us. I really think, again, McAvoy carries this. And I think without him, with a lesser actor, this would have been a train wreck. Agreed. Um, but in addition to that, I think the art design and the design of the location is fantastic i think the cinematography in a lot of this is really strong and going into it you know the score is dope as well yeah the score is very good um i think going into this with rock bottom expectations you know the visit was middling reception but uh he was still coming off of the The lowest the lowest of his lows 
Um, so I have to give him props for that. I think this movie is pretty strong. I think in terms of pacing and tension, I think it's one of M. Night's strongest, to be honest. I would give this a four out of five. I think wow. it's a, a very good Higher movie. than Unbreakable. You think it's a better film than Unbreakable? I think it has the luxury of not having the age to it. I sure. wonder how this movie will age, um, but at the current time, I don't think it is a bad movie in any sense. Okay. All right. Well, that's a, an average of 3.2 out of 5 pods for Split, and that will lead us into our final film, Glass. <laughs> which just came out when we're recording this. It came out like yesterday. Mm -hmm. If you haven't seen Glass, if you actually care about Glass, stop the episode now because we're going to be getting into heavy Glass spoilers probably pretty quickly. Also, if you actually care about Glass, I'm sorry. I mean, I, I mean, I can't. I, I won't. I won't go I, into bashing taste. The, the, but the one. No, thing no, no, I'll... no. I mean, like, I'm sorry for you if you you care about glass and you're going to see the movie and you're excited about it. I'm I'm sorry about what's about the to happen thing to I'll you. Say, that, I'm not yeah, insulting okay, you. Okay. Taste. Not. Yeah, no, no. Because I was gonna say the one thing I will say after Split, like, I would understand why people would be at least interested in seeing Glass because M Night made one of his stronger movies oh, no, you know? i was curious myself yeah, yeah and, a, I'm, and i was, i'm sorry for my past self i that's, <laughs> i think that's i think that's a great segue into my overall feeling about the trilogy before we get too into specifics with glass is i think that unbreakable and split work their best as standalone unrelated films i would yes. i would totally agree the fact the fact that you have that they have to bring them together in this movie is what makes the entire thing fall apart. on in that respect do you think when m night began making split he intended this to be a a trilogy that's a great question because i honestly yes. honestly i think at he so. shoehorned that into the end of Split and kind of edited it into that. I don't. I don't think so. Uh, also, considering the the development cycle between the two films, uh, since it looks like Glass mm, was, was shot I, fairly and written a lot earlier on, I'm. I'm I don't know though because I, I feel there. like the red tape between two different IPs because Unbreakable is owned by Buena Vista, I believe, which is a different company than the one that put out Split. So there's a lot of red tape combining two ips like that mm -hmm. so i mean yeah it's it's hard to say i would be curious to see if that information exists out there because i do think that aside from the very end of split where they go into the diner and we see bruce willis's character and somebody's like that's like that guy that they put away who thought he was a supervillain what oh did and they the, call, what did they call him he's like uh mr glass and they have the same music and the whole time that cheesy dump yeah dump dump dum, like music is playing yeah the, the yeah. super late 90s early 2000s it's like trip hop yeah yeah well i mean the, the, other, the, the but other than that split stands well, on its own I, it does I, but I, I do feel like it, it is tied in like going back to our conversation about like the through line the the theme about weakness making you stronger i mean that's 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 glass. well i and mean people ha can and people have thematically really, i and, and super yeah i would like argue the, the that heart, the a lot the of fisted working in the superpower thing yeah like, i mean into it. like i think what the film thematically is a lot of m night's movies have similar themes to that i will agree with the therapist stuff but i would argue 
You know, I I, I told you earlier, or I mentioned earlier, I don't think I mentioned it on the podcast yet, but the original cut for Split was, like, three hours. Right. And uh, he thankfully cut it down to a more reasonable length. But I I feel like he probably added that in near the end of the production cycle. Just I, to I think the world building that is, is built there. around that same premise, though. I mean, like, the therapist is trying to sell that he's a superhuman. Well, exactly. They cut that in and emphasize that more than they would yeah, just if it, it was just a standalone. Just because it appears early in the film doesn't mean that it was added early in the film's production. They could have shot that shit at the end mm-hmm. when he decides to tie well, it no, no, and it's, cut it's, it in it's, it's the through line of the movie is what I'm saying. Like, it's regularly brought but up I think, by Trump. I think I think it's regularly split brought up by... stands alone in a much different way. Yeah, they're very different films. It... They stand alone. But I'm just saying that I think that it, their, the intent was there when Split was made that it would be tied into Unbreakable. It's it's hard to say because all we have to go off of is the finished product, which does tie into Unbreakable. Yeah, it's it's impossible to say what what mm-hmm. M Night's first draft of the script looked like. Speaking of which, though, the first half of Glass especially feels like a feature length epilogue. Oh my god! To to both movies, it feels like he's trying to wrap up every single bow. And do it in such a redundant way um, that it just feels unnecessary. No, I mean, like, I I remember before we did this podcast, I remember saying, like, that M. Night was going to use this as as an opportunity to just to to ruin a greater work. Just imagine a, uh, a scene in a bar where two people are saying, like, oh, man, like. You know, like, George Lucas really did a shitty job ruining the, the Star Wars franchise, and then just M. Night Shyamalan just saying, like, oh, hold my beer. <laughs> like, like, yeah, well, let me show like, you what I can. Well, yeah, like, well like, I, I, I think... Uh, I think and Lucas did, like, a whole, but I'm just saying, like, like just this is just so unbelievably ham-fisted. Well, that's the thing. My biggest problem with Glass is not only is most of it incredibly boring, but it takes all of the best parts of Split and Unbreakable and turns them into cartoons. Yeah, and like copy pasted lines from the previous films, and like like and states them used multiple footage, times. Used footage from yeah, the, it from almost the felt like, like a flashback, like, like a just, yeah, Silent pad. Night, Deadly Night two style, where he just repurposed early mm-hmm. footage yeah. to make. Well, a there movie. were there were a lot of parts where uh, where they used scenes straight from Unbreakable, and the quality of the film, mm. like, you could actually notice the yeah. contrast between, like, the ultra-high def that they shot Glass in and the high def that they shot, or maybe they shot Unbreakable on film, I don't know, probably. Probably. Um, but, like, you can see the film yeah. grain, like, well, it's it like on the, the two of yeah, them. Yeah, because, like, you're, you get a shot on the train from the beginning, the and, end, yeah. and you see an interaction that occurs, uh, that was obviously shot presently, and then it pans behind one of the seats and it pans back across. And you can see, and you can see the moment, you can see the cut when yeah, the film grain yeah, comes in. Yeah. I even mentioned it. Yeah, uh-huh. it's, man, this movie is a is a hot mess and I, I was expecting it to be a hot mess going in uh, and I was hoping for a fun mess. Yeah. And that, and that like, that grain point is such a, is, is just it's the, the tiniest thing. tip of the, the shitty iceberg on this thing just for, oh, viewers, See, just wait. I was, I was really hoping for, for <laughs> fun, listeners. for, for fun, dumb, and we got it, 
but well over an hour into the I, movie. It was sprinkled in before that, but it definitely Not ramped enough. up in the second half. Yeah. I, I think the second half of this movie especially turns into an entertaining bad movie. Absolutely. On the, on the level of... I would even argue it's on the level of like the nun or the predator in I terms would, of enjoyable bad. I would agree, but this movie yeah. is this movie is two hours and nine minutes long, and I would say it does not reach that point until the last half until, hour. If, until until about minutes. until an hour last forty five minutes. I would say an hour thirty in. There is there is stuff sprinkled throughout, like dumb little funny moments that we laughed at, but. Too much rage for me to wade through it. But the fact, the rest but of also oh like just so, so boring. Well, I think Cleveland, you were the most offended by this movie because I think in a lot of ways you're the biggest comic book superhero yeah, fan of I, us I, three. I do, Absolutely, I do want to begin by saying like it is well, yes, a great deal of my anger does come from that. Yeah, can it, you expand also, on that a little bit for it's us? It's more primarily just because it's terrible writing and world building that made me so mad. And it's it's constantly stepping on its own toes and being so clunky and, and the number of times people just actively reference how the film would be going if, if it, it was, was a comic, comic book, book movie. I will was agree. Out- yeah, that, I, stuff I that is one like, thing I wanted to talk that, about. That enough of its own I, was enough to like just to send me into fucking blackouts. Like I was just like the the meta. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't just the comic book aspect of it. It was just the the worst like approach to meta in writing. Yeah, like, that's I've what I wanted seen. to talk about because in a lot of ways there's a distinction between being self-aware and breaking the fourth wall. And I think this movie, in a weird way, is uh, breaking the fourth wall a lot without being self-aware. Poorly. Yes. 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 No, no, no. I've got. I've yes. got. I've got a. Um. I've got a couple of metaphors for that, and I fully agree with you. Watching this movie made me feel like I was having a conversation with a child who says to you, like, "Hey, have you seen uh, this this uh, this really good movie?" And like, and you think, "Oh yeah, it's a, it's an okay film," but I'll I'll you know like I'll enable this kid Human and like child. I'll humor the child and. And you say, like, yeah, yes, I have. And the kid goes, oh, yeah, isn't it really neat? And then the kid just explains the whole movie to you that you've already seen. <laughs> like, that's that's how I felt watching and this then, film. And then, and then, and then, and then, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, like, exactly what you're yeah. saying. And uh, so that's, that's my first comparative. I was at a convention a couple of years ago, and I attended a, writer, a, a writer's panel. And it was it was pretty good. It was pretty enlightening. And afterwards, there were a few of the people in the audience, and I thought, hey, this might be a cool opportunity to make friends, build some cool business connections. And I ta- I started talking to this one random person who I overheard said they were writing for like a friend's like Cthulhu Lovecraft style game or something. A game that was inspired by Lovecraft. And I thought, oh, that's really cool. Hey, tell me more about it. And they they told me some some stuff. And then I said, you know, like that's that's really that's really neat. Um uh I'm a huge Lovecraft fan. Like what's your favorite Lovecraft book? And they said, Oh no, I've never read any Lovecraft. <laughs> <laughs> And I had to stop. And like, what do you, you haven't read any Lovecraft? Like you're writing a a Lovecraft game. Like what are you doing? And and uh, they're just like, well, I, I think that I'll go into it with a, a more fresh perspective if I haven't read any Lovecraft. No. And I'm like, no, you you won't. Like you can. Your fresh perspectives will still be there. Like if you read Lovecraft, you'll just have a better sense of the source material and etc. Th- things we already know. I'm not going to explain the joke. You get it. The reason I'm bringing that up is I felt the same way about Shyamalan's approach to comic books in this movie. I felt like Shyamalan just didn't even realize that, like, the 80s golden age happened. 
where comic books became self-aware. Because this, this, especially like leading into this, you were saying that in an interview, Shyamalan said that he was trying to do a dystopian Incredibles. Right. His philosophy <laughs> yeah. behind the Unbreakable trilogy is the Incredibles, but dystopian. Right. Now, honestly, just that on its own, in an isolated vacuum, I think that could be done and be kind of fun or whatever. It's a hokey, weird concept. Why would you want to make the Incredibles dystopian? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Not the Incredibles, but that that same like like childlike sense of wonder but put it in a dark a- in, the environment the dc dc cinematic universe has been doing that for years and failing yes awfully. the only one who did it right the only person who did it right was christopher nolan right the which dark Knight which it does do and it is that Correct. so that there there's mm. my, my but also but i have but, opinions on that but sure, we but, can that's another yeah. topic but also nobody in the dark knight trilogy has real superpowers true so that mm, right so my point on that is that Shyamalan approaches this film acting as if he is the first person to have this premise of superheroes, but what if now? But what if actually in this world? Right. Whereas most comic books are framed that way already. Like, or and or if not many. Many comic books try to do that. That that's a, a common mechanism to to make you feel more like you're a part of the world. Um, we were saying it's a strength and unbreakable even, but here the point just becomes so missed. Uh, and all the times they're bringing up meta, it's from this pedestal of I'm the first one to have done this. Like, oh, you know, this, this must be the moment where this thing would be happening in a regular comic book or, oh, didn't expect this thing that happens in so many other comic books. Did you? Well, the fact, also the fact that he has to have the characters point out those moments to us. Right, that's what I mean. He's he's expecting regularly. It's like, okay, well, you're you're obviously like this trilogy is your comic book trilogy. You would expect the people who are watching it to at least have a basic idea of how comic books and superheroes work, even if they are somebody who has not read a lot of comics, like myself. I did not grow up reading comics. I have seen most of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, though. I am familiar with the formula of comic books. I don't need the characters in this movie to explain to me that this is the moment that in a comic book, the good guy and the bad guy would have a showdown. I don't need you to tell me that. Right, and and it's it's not the first time that Shyamalan has done this. We saw the same thing with Avatar, right? Avatar Which I have is a film. Well, I unfortunately have. Yeah, um, I have and, too, unfortunately. Uh, uh, I saw it in theaters. Um, you, mean, you mean The Last ooh, Airbender, ouch. not to be confused Correct. with James well, Cameron's well, Avatar. The, no, no. Um, <laughs> dear, dear, I mean, we're talking about Shyamalan. But like Shyamalan's selling point for Avatar was uh, that his kids liked it. And he signed off on it because his, his kids liked it. And not because he himself had an interest in the source material, not because of any personal reasons or artistic reasons. It was just a cash grab, and his kids thought it w- thought it was cool. So he, it was a periphery thing for him. He didn't actually engross himself in the world. Again, a running theme, right? Like, he doesn't do the research. He doesn't do the homework. It's ego. He builds the film off of his own concepts, and those are enough because he's M. Night Shyamalan. It's never been so apparent as in this film. Uh, yeah, I, I actually see, agree with that. I feel like this movie f- doesn't feel like he was going into it trying to make a film. He was going into it trying to do the conclusion to Unbreakable and Split. Yeah, yeah. Which, That's what it felt. The yeah, film, which I, I think is why it feels like an epilogue in a yeah, lot of ways. I agree. You know, a feature-length epilogue. A I think one. 
it comes onto its own in the last 45 minutes or so, but not necessarily in a good way. Well, that's the thing. It, um, does, it does become very comic booky and cartoonish at the end, which is by far the most fun part of the movie. It's also the dumbest, but at the also same the most, time, like, it's the part like... where it breaks its own rule. But I, and also, like, I... Going off of Unbreakable and Split, it's putting those characters that I think were relatively grounded and real, aside from my problems with the Beast and Split and whatever, and putting them into this cartoonish setting where I never wanted to see them, you know? It was still fun and dumb, but ultimately, like, I... I, This movie just felt like a mistake. See, honestly, I... Mm-hmm. disagree i almost feel like it should have been more cartoonish throughout because i think the problem with the first half is it's too boring and it tries too hard to tie up those it ends it would have definitely if it, if it had held its own style of the last 40 minutes 45 minutes throughout it may not necessarily have been narratively a great movie yeah. but in terms of tone it would have, it would have been a stronger movie I, and a more a entertaining movie, in, movie i well, think yeah if it had been more cartoony from the beginning it would have been an entertaining movie in spite of itself it yes. would have been intentionally entertaining i think there are other ways they could have made the film entertaining at the beginning other than being cartoony well, I, I, what I'll say is I agree that if the film had been more cartoony, I probably would have enjoyed it more just because it would have been hokier. I would have, too. Been, yeah. It would have been more fun to laugh at, and I think mm-hmm. it would have made it an ultimately a more enjoyable viewing experience. That being said, my point is I never wanted to see these characters in a cartoony setting. Agreed. If that's what you're going to do, and that's what it takes to at least keep me from falling asleep during the movie, fine. That's why I enjoyed the last act of the movie, because it was dumb. But that doesn't mean I ever wanted to see these characters in that setting. You know what I mean? I have no problem with them trying something different. You know, the problem is they didn't stick to it throughout. Um, I, the, the problem is they tried to do what you were saying is stuck to the original formula in the first half. And obviously that didn't work very well. well I think and then in the second half, they stray from that dramatically to make just a cartoony over the top. I don't think the movie. first half was was just just bad because it tried to stick to its original concept. I think that it could have stuck to its original concept and been good. Do you the, think so? I do. With I this think, concept? Yeah. No, I, I do think ultimately the concept is the problem because, I like I was saying before, Unbreakable and Split work very well as standalone films. It's the, the concept of bringing them together that makes the whole thing not work. Yeah, it's inherently a convoluted mess, and if you're going to make a convoluted mess, at least Might make it well schlocky make it and fun, no, you know? You. That's all yeah. I'm saying, you know? I, like, I agree with that. I but agree 100%. I, but I, I do think that yeah, it, it but could that, have, but that it could have just change, not been a convoluted mess. That doesn't mess change the, the fact that this movie should not have been made. That's my overall point. It was made, and if it was going, if you're going to make us watch it, then it should be mm-hmm. cartoony and stupid throughout. So it's at least entertaining. Yeah. I will. It's, I will actually agree with. But it shouldn't. It shouldn't be a thing to begin with. Is ben, my point. Ben had a counterpoint earlier that I, I do want to agree with, and that is that like I actually think that the the this movie being made could have actually been a good idea. Like, I wouldn't want to discount any any new attempt at something for being bad because it was a new attempt at something. That mentality can often be used, like, by marketing teams to not, like, greenlight creative projects just because 
a video game that is is single player doesn't sell well doesn't mean that single player games aren't selling well. Here's here's my counterpoint to that in that the reason I think that this movie shouldn't have been made and that I don't see a way for it to work well is because the things that I liked about Unbreakable and Split are very different. I like the movies individually, but I like them for different reasons. In Unbreak I'm not saying that I don't that a sequel to Unbreakable doesn't work. That's not what I'm saying, because what I like about Unbreakable is the more is the more grounded, realistic idea of maybe superheroes, maybe not. But what I liked about Split is this very nuanced, dynamic character struggling ultimately with himself and the and the different aspects of his personality and those different aspects trying to all come out on top of each other. And those two things are completely disjointed. The fact that you take both of them and put them together is what doesn't work for me as a concept. Yeah. See, to put a capstone on that, because I do have a, a point on that, okay. which I'd like to make, like but to uh, the concept of crossover movies or crossover merchandise of any sort is inherently campy yeah and if it's going to work you have to emphasize that and make it stand on its own i think if this movie at least tonally stood on its own it would be as a whole better it's true you know and yeah you're right because like alien versus predator doesn't necessarily ruin the original alien or predator it's just a bad movie. Yeah, it's you, just you, a bad you check movie out before you because go see they the don't film. make it campy enough. Right. Yeah. You know, but the so like Freddy versus Jason on the, the other, other hand, hand. <laughs> right? The the one point I wanted to make, you were talking about with Split. The thing you liked about Split was having such a strong character, having it driven the whole movie. Right. In this movie, I feel like that was to its detriment because you had three really big characters right. all and competing room for on who can chew the most scenery, and I think. James McAvoy still did the best. Yes, I think and he's still the best thing in about a, Glass. In a way, I felt like that was a problem though yeah, when I was watching it because I was like, <laughs> "You're overemphasizing him, even though he's a great character and he's doing maybe the best performance in the movie. You're neglecting these other characters, well, for, well, right? It's like the kid for... being like, "Hey, have you seen Split? It's it's really good. Uh, you know, like James McAvoy does a really good. You know, like like and and." It's like the movie was telling you that. Well, for for a movie called Glass, Mr. Glass does not do anything in this movie until over halfway mm-hmm. through the movie. Well, the, <laughs> yeah, well, he just sits also, there. It's, and, uh, it's the reason why, the like, catatonic it, state. It, for me too, like, it also like really helped to. It was it was the final like stab wound in how in the the horrible uh, uh, twists as well. Because, like, they keep setting up, like, this movie has, like, a fucking Russian doll of bad twists. Yeah. Um, and I, why I was never caught off guard by any of them was because the film's called Glass. Glass is behind all of it. Duh. Like, move on, but please. But also, like, I don't, <laughs> even, I don't even think we see Samuel Jackson until... 40 minutes into the movie. Yeah. And even so, then we've got like a good half an hour of him pretending to be catatonic and not doing anything. And he like, it's the movie's fucking called glass. (laughs) Get rid of all of the goddamn bullshit preamble where we have Sarah Paulson trying to convince James McAvoy and Bruce Willis that they're not superheroes. Yeah, see, here, get rid of all of that. Here's the biggest reason why it was ineffective. Because first off, I I respect the 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 idea or the the concept of 
keeping your villain mysterious and not showing much of them and leaving them as an overwhelming force. But we already we already have him in Unbreakable. Exactly. We've already seen him exactly. built up. So exactly. he's not a monster. We've been it's been made clear to us that he's a we regular know who guy. He is. Yeah. yeah, we know. Who, but also they kind of break that in this movie, and I think yep. that they ultimately make him out to be way more of an evil genius than he's ever. Yeah presented as right for, for a film that's supposed to be that, set up in the real world with with actual superheroes and what would happen like watch death note if you well, want to see something that's actually done well, well like what that. i what like, i like what i like about unbreakable is that mr glass stylizes himself as an evil genius mastermind but ultimately he's kind of not you well know? and that's the thing you know the best villains don't think they're villains they think in their own mind that they They're are doing hard. their right, own right, right. Which, sort of right which actually had was probably my the one uh the 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 self-referential part that made me the angriest <laughs> yeah. is when it's revealed that it's all being run by a uh, a black site like or you know illuminati style like organization secret society yeah, secret society like clovers the, the yeah the 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 the, the that has primar- for ten thousand years been killing people with superhuman powers because there's no reason for gods <laughs> to walk no, 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 not, not because there's no reason for gods to not walk amongst us but because quote it's not fair unquote like (laughs) literally that was her reason it's not fair and uh but anyway like i want to have superpowers the the part that really pissed me off about like the the meta of that was was she said but you know unlike in comic books like our society like is actually doing it for good reasons you know like we actually believe we're doing it for the right reasons like well well, no shit they do in comic books too well right exactly that's that's the the villains never think that they're the villain yeah mr glass acknowledges that he's the villain and that's his whole point. Yeah, that was the that biggest part. I think that's what makes him creative. He was saying, right. at one point, he said, uh, you know, we'll be the, the villain team or something. To oh, the yeah, beast. that sounds like, the, after he frees the beast, he's like, this sounds like the bad guys are teaming up. Yeah, right? exactly. That's, that's where, like, that... Uh, they do it a, uh, an obnoxious number of times before then, but that's where it like it ramps up just beyond belief. Because like that, the whole fight scene sequence is narrated by people just making meta commentary on yeah by comic Anya, books. Anya Taylor. It's like Joy oh, this or... is the point where where this happens. You know, this is the point where oh, this now the 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 two villains um are are split because one one of the villains was inevitably trying to betray the other one, and and so the hero of course has to to step in now because he's been you know steadfast I in his hate, goodness. I hate that every single one. One of these characters has a non-superhuman advocate in the movie, totally unnecessarily. <laughs> like, for some reason, Anya Taylor Joy is is uh, Kevin's, and then you've got Mr. Glass's mother, and then you've got fucking Bruce Willis's son, and they got the same actor from Unbreakable, and he's not a good actor. No, uh, I, that's and, why I mentioned him in Unbreakable because he gives a he gives an really awful performance, performance in this. In movie. this. But the nice. fact that but the fact that Does those me. three characters are there to constantly advocate for whichever person they're behind and like you said during the fight scene it will cut away to one of them being like in comic books this is the point that this would happen and it's like what the fuck are you doing yeah. why is this oh, happening God. and like Before- half the time too like it that thing is actually happening. Yes. And then the other half of the time, that thing is not happening, but it's still a, just a different thing that would happen in comic books. Absolutely. Well, there's... <laughs> okay, there's a couple things I want to touch on before we go full hog into the second half, because I feel like <laughs> once we get into that conversation, we ain't going back. True, true. So, uh, first off, I want to talk about how... 
they mention this comic at one point. It's called The Whisper Man. Yes. Oh. And it was like, uh, where are the parents? Who who are his parents? Yeah. And (laughs) when I saw that, I was just like, damn, this movie in a lot of ways is that exact thing. In the first half, it just whispers all the dumb shit it has. And then in the second half, it's just screaming it. And honestly, I appreciate it much more when it's just screaming the stupid yeah, shit rather than just mumbling well, it, it, you know? Yeah, and, and to be clear, too, like, it's it's whispering it, but it's it's whispering it constantly, too, at the beginning. Yeah. Like, it's just, like, the it doesn't stop. Yeah, it's dumb as hell, but... You know, at least it could be entertaining. No, I'm agreeing. I'm just saying, like, like, when you say whispering, like, that could conjure, like, subtlety when it's, it's, and I'm just making it clear that it's not. I'm not disagreeing with the point. Well, I think it's still dumb. I think it, it's subtle in a way. I agree. In that, like, it's not done enough. Well, it's just, it's it's quiet. It's not subtle. Yeah, I guess that's a good, uh, good way to put it. Yeah, it's just Um, not screaming it, but it's still making a shitty point. Yeah. The other great part I wanted to mention is, uh, to fix Mr. Glass, they were going to <laughs> do a surgery on him to fix his brain, um, essentially just to make him dumb as hell, um, by shooting a laser at his head. I mean, yeah, in, in the, f- I hate it cause I have to defend the, the plot and that, that makes me angry, but <laughs> the, they are an evil organization, like they, and they are trying to kill the superheroes. Yeah. That's not, so the reason was, the end, yeah, but at that point, that is why they were trying to do that. Sure. They were just trying to laser his head so that he wasn't a problem anymore. That yeah. being, that being said, I will go back to what we were talking about with unbreakable where like Mr. Glass stylizes himself to be like an evil genius, but he's kind of not. Whereas in this movie, he just full blown is like, he's like, even though he's been locked up since the year 2000, when he escapes, he goes down to the basement and we see him coding at like rapid speed. Like he would have had no access to a computer ever in any of the time that he was locked up. So the fact that he knows complex code and how to immediately get into all of these systems, his mom mentions that he memorized the blueprints to the hospital to turn all of the electricity off at one point. Also, let's talk about their way for keeping James McAvoy docile with the the hypno lights that every time he gets too close to the door or if they... flash the strobe lights it forces another personality to come forward and we see him trying to break out that one point by just backing up and then running at the door and then it flashes and he turns into another person then goes back why didn't he just cover his eyes <laughs> holy shit i never thought about that like at holy first, shit the, my 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 just train of thought eyes, my train of thought going into that was it's like, just like cyberbullying well, well, just no, close was, your fucking eyes i was thinking i was thinking why doesn't he just close his eyes and i'm like oh well, when your eyes are closed like you can still see light through your eyes but like just put a fucking hand over your eye yeah and just yeah. run at the door and walk over to the thing and turn it off yep. just like what just cover your eyes and walk over there and turn it off and like sure ben like it might have like come to you it didn't really come to me either but his character had three days in there 
Yeah, and I mean, tw- three 20, full days. And 24 personalities to think about yeah, that. Yeah, I will say I like that device of having it because it really I thought it was fun gave too. McAvoy yeah. a chance to showcase all sure, the different no, no, no. It's, 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 personalities. It's, it's a fun device for the film, but its rules are very mm-hmm. easily broken. Oh, absolutely. Broken. I like think it's dumb as hell. Well, it, and then, like, honestly, like, I think it could have been a fun premise and it still could have even fit into a well-built world. You just would have had, I don't know, other mechanisms as well. And also Bruce Willis's cell that's just full of water nozzles, so anytime he starts acting up, they just spray him with water <laughs> and make the whole room super just wet. like a dog. <laughs> My favorite was they did that once, and then he gets up to talk to Sarah Paulson and his, his clothes, clothes are just dry. completely dry. Like, no one gives a shit about continuity. You can still hear water like dripping in the room, and the, wa- and the walls are all wet and everything, but his clothes are just dry. Mm-hmm. Well, like also like his face was relatively dry too except for he had like some droplets like makeup like the makeup team placed how much do you want to bet that it was just Bruce Willis being like I don't want to be fucking wet for five hours I believe it was that and I can't blame him no me either <laughs> like he was he was pulling a Harrison Ford in this one he yes was, uh, he was checked out he and was, I respect yeah, he, that he was, if anything he was there to put in his time like, Bruce just, Willis has been checked out for the last decade plus yeah like, just honestly drift, just drift his way right on through that movie yeah and like, I, I respect the I, shit out of it I respect oh my it too God. I, I would too yeah. I thought it was funny compared to like how obviously hard James McAvoy was trying. Right, how like flat how, Willis was. And yeah, just like in comparison, like how obviously Bruce Willis did not want to be there and I, James McAvoy was just like, like full on, just no. like doing his shit. There were times in the movie where I, I, I straight up thought that like Willis's like flat acting was intentional. Like it was like, he, he has to know what he's doing here. Like he knows what film he's on and he's just like... Oh, he yeah, he yeah. was just totally checked out. Like I said, he pulled a Harrison Ford. Like he just... Uh, he, he was just doing what he had to do to get through the filming of this movie. And I understand that, and I respect that. I also respect James McAvoy for dedicating himself 110%, so yeah. ferociously to such a dumb movie that he's the, still... The uh, like, Nick Cage approach. Yeah, I think that... Yeah, exactly. I think even, like, the, the dumb moments with McAvoy, of which there are many... There are many. We won't get too deep into that right now because I think we still have some other things to talk about for the the fun I, part. I think I think his, we're, we're just we're about ready, ready to get yeah, into yeah, the like his scene. his hoots and growls. <laughs> Fantastic! Like, yeah, were amazing and like as amazingly terrible as they were. I even then I, I I find it hard to blame McAvoy for that. I feel like they were directorial. Well, yeah, it's because he's supposed to. He, he I think they basically it. just told him to to behave like a gorilla because that's what he does. Just an amalgam of all the spooky predators of the zoo that he worked at, right? Uh, and uh and you know what like that's one of those things where that in itself is inherently kind of stupid so it falls on the director the director and the cinematographer and the editor to portray that in a way that doesn't look dumb and my favorite thing about the fight scene and part of the reason why i enjoyed it so much is because of how badly it's shot unbelievably because the whole thing is is shot so statically and so like without any sort of stylistic flourishes that it it's it's just James McAvoy shirtless hooting and hollering and pounding on his chest and and screaming at Bruce Willis standing outside in a rain poncho and they're like wrestling. It reminded me very uh, much it was, it was hilarious. It was hilarious. It was awesome. I loved it. It's like 
going to a family Thanksgiving and your drunk uncle gets in a fight with your tweaker cousin at the dinner table <laughs> and just and every, and even the way that everybody was standing around watching it it's like everybody was just kind of off to the side like ah but, uh, what and it's just like this old man in a poncho and a crazy shirtless young guy super veiny like jacked up on PCP it's just your drunk uncle and your tweaker cousin like smashing the fucking plates at Thanksgiving and, and like, there's really there's no there are no excuses for the the shooting of the sequence too because there are zero limitations like placed on this like it's it's a large green there's an indoor space right next to it and it's it's in the middle of the day there's there are there's no there are no challenges to the location right like the location is very easy to shoot in yet it's shot terribly so i want to try to explain this so on one hand i agree with you that it's shot very strangely but i think because it's shot so strangely it makes it's it emphasizes makes it oh, yeah, it makes how it dumb as hell it is yes, and it makes me like it more honestly like i was saying before it screams that it's dumb it's, as hell in the second but half that's the there. thing is that it's it's obviously not intentional no it's in spite it's, of itself it's it's one yeah it's it's hilarious in spite of itself and that's why i like it so much and that's what makes that sequence so fucking funny to watch is because how sincerely it's treated but just how badly it's done again yeah and that's why yeah. i wish the whole movie was like that I, you know I agree. like I agree. <laughs> there's one part where uh, a bunch of swat te- the swat team shows up yeah. and they're all like surrounding uh, both of them with uh riot shields and they're just uh <laughs> they obviously that doesn't work and they just get destroyed well, well, but at one point yeah at one point, Bruce Willis just takes a bunch of them and shoves them into a shipping container. Which, where, where did that come from? Yeah, <laughs> out of there? nowhere. Yeah. It's never shown on, like, and then in the same scene. He's like, I'm doing this to protect you. And then cl- slams the door shut. And not only does he slam the door shut, he takes a huge metal bar. That's just really thick, right there. Really thick metal bar. Puts it through the, the, the door and bends it. So it can't be opened again. I'm doing this to protect you! (laughs) And it's like, obviously they're using like an aluminum rod. And again, it's just like, it's your normal superhero standard fare. What what really bothered me about that whole sequence was also the pacing of it. We see the SWAT guys pull up. And they both they attack both Willis and uh, McAvoy, and there's a sort of it, uh, sequence where it cuts back and forth between them both pushing against the riot shields in separate directions, and they each have about five uh, riot guys between them, and it's demonstrating how strong they are. And that moment just is just wades in itself. Like it takes forever to show you that. Like, and there's like all these different shots you get of the, them, their feet, you know, pushing against the riot shields. Meanwhile, like. Five minutes ago, Bruce Willis knocked a metal door off of its hinges. We right. know he's strong, but they keep just having to bring this point home. And right. It's like- and also the fact that the, the cops never do anything to try to secure the the pedestrians who are there. Like, Anya Taylor-Joy and Bruce Willis's son are continually allowed just to, walking just, up. to just run into the melee and be like, <laughs> but in comic books, this is the time. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, get these people out of here. Yeah. Get them out of here! Like, Why is is this like a black site facility and or is it not? And it's and then and it leads to Anya Taylor Joy being able to uh, 
bring Kevin out in or into the light, as they say, yeah. uh, through the power of love or whatever. <laughs> what? I, I thought know. that was corny as hell, and Literally, I kind of loved it. Shyamalan sat down, watched King Kong, and said. <gasps> Beauty killed the, the beast. beast. Oh, right. and also fuck me. Man. Another oh. another thing, and it's like this is such a minor thing considering the numerous sins of this movie. But when she is there, like holding his hand, and she's like brought Kevin back in the beat, and she put the beast away, and then the sniper behind her shoots him. A, 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 a police sniper would never ever ever take that shot with a civilian standing right well, well, there. Well, actually, no, in, again, god damn it, y'all keep having me, like, putting me in a position where I have to defend the Well, the, because the he's part, because he's part of the Illuminati or yeah, whatever. thank you, I didn't uh, know. But, like... I do want to talk about that a little more, because... Let's talk about that and then wrap up. Okay, because yeah. what the fuck. fuck was that? Honestly, like, what was the point of having a secret society at all? For there to be a movie. For uh, for an excuse. It's not even needed for the plot of the movie. It's to, right. to well, kill to kill all of the main yeah. characters. Let's yeah, okay, so here's here's the thing that really pissed me off about it personally. And that was that so much of the pronoun game needed to be played for that twist to work throughout the the, the shitty waiting parts of that film. For instance, when all the characters are taken in, this is actually one of the things that pissed me off the most about the beginning part. All the characters are taken in, and the lead psychiatric Illuminati person sits down with them Sarah and says... Paulson. Sarah Paulson. says, okay, hi, my job is to try and convince you guys that you're not superheroes. I have three days to do it. And then the conversation moves on. And so the film just presents you with this ticking clock and gives you For no, no reason. reason. Well, no explanation. And, like, does, it never and does. does continually have the sound of a ticking clock throughout most of yeah, the Yeah, and it's like, and oh, yeah, you've got three days to do this. Why? Why? Like, just, and just that's the thing that bothered me the most about that secret society is, like, if their intent was to kill these guys, why are they even trying to... I mean, maybe them. they maybe their first line of defense is to try to convince them they're not superheroes and then kill them if they if they don't. But also, okay, how did nobody see the the one Illuminati SWAT guy drowning Bruce Willis in that puddle? How did yeah. nobody see that happening? Yeah, yeah, that's the thing too. Like, like the also, why did Sarah Paulson go there and while he's being drowned, tell her to take his hand so with his superpowers he can see that she was part of the secret society all along? Exposition, <laughs> I guess. Right? Yeah, that's oh the only god, and, it was like, dumb like, as hell. They're, they're just let's talk about like why they are the worst like uh, secret society ever. Okay, the, if they, they were let, doing they also this for let the people go, like all the periphery, they people. were apparently doing this for 10,000 years let yet they have no preparation for what could happen yeah right. no no preparation and and also they they must not take the jobs that seriously because like the witnesses like all the the people who are tied to the heroes in ham-fisted ways are all just allowed to let go yeah mm-hmm. yep why why would you not kill them too like salt the earth like what what is going on right exactly no 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 fucking witnesses yeah and then it's revealed that mr glass's plan all along was to have the fight there so that the hospital's security cameras could catch the whole thing and he could live stream it to the internet yep. so it would prove to people that there were superhumans yeah, right. out there well, yeah it was, and that that foiled the secret society it was like to, it, it was like well, well, the thing is they, they don't even treat it as a way to foil the secret society which would have made more sense like just oh yeah he uses an opportunity to expose this this group 
instead it's it's built around to expose that there are superheroes. Yeah, he wants to like bring to life uh heroes that are laden, I guess, or like right. not active. Also, it was it was uh streamed to a private server and then after his death, I guess he had it automatically sent to his mom. His mom and, and then And also to Anya Taylor Joy and also to Bruce Willis' son. Yeah. And oh my god. When it sent to uh, his mom and she made. checked it on her like <laughs> two thousand two era iMac, I was just like, how the fuck is this computer even still, still working? Yeah. yeah. Also like, like we used to have one of those. <laughs> also, like, how did he know about the existence of Anya Taylor Joy's character in order to set up sending that to her and even if he was aware of her existence why would he decide to send that to her specifically or to bruce willis's son it's just they had to tie it up and be like ah the secret society thought they could get away with <laughs> with calling the idea that they're superheroes and then that the very final scene to have the three of them meet in the train station two hours after uploading it and watch in real time as everybody in the train station sees the videos right on their let's phone. talk about what would have actually happened there you know if this is built in like a realism world people would have looked at their phone people and said, have seen that on that's Facebook. a cool that's a cool you like youtube video yeah like, there's some cool special effects yeah yeah, yeah and exactly. they would have put it down like you would not have, it like, would not have been a thing at all the the okay so one funny thing mr glass's original plan was to oh, quote unquote original plan. It wasn't his actual plan as we know, but his original plan was to. There's this new big Osaka building, uh, being made in Philadelphia that looks suspiciously like the Twin Towers. Did you guys get that too? A little bit. I like well, there was like a, I, I think a little it's just like a bit kind of, of bring... a gap in the middle, well, even, and like it looked like the Twin Towers. Yeah, no, I, I'm. I, it, it's it was just a a way to kind of. Um... I think it was intentional because glass has been made to be a terrorist. Like, and well, right. it's to and set well, you up to think he's going to, and he says he's going to blow them up. Like, it's he, oh yeah, his quote unquote plan is to have yeah. the beast and Bruce Willis fight there like, and blow up the, the building. Yeah. So, that whole time I was really worried that that fight was actually going to happen because it did look so much like the twin towers. And I was just like, you know, it's been a while, but that's still kind of distasteful <laughs> to have a climactic right, fight at a I mean, even building then, that looks Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that being said, in it was like just, just enough. Oh, you're that, saying that, 9/11 was distasteful? No. Oh, okay. No. The way it's in that, the movie. That being, okay. That being said, <laughs> in in just about every <laughs> Marvel superhero movie or DC, these fights take place in major cities, usually New York, and involve lots of large buildings uh, falling down. So I don't think that's yeah. something that's exclusive. I to this almost movie. half expected them to. Because Mr. Glass was originally going to blow up the chemicals in the building. And I thought originally what he was going to do when he was doing all that typing was he was going to, even after he died, have it explode so superheroes in the world would be forced to save it. Um, that would be dumb as hell. Yeah, I'm glad that but, didn't happen. Uh, I mean, the ending as I, it was was pretty awesome. Yeah, was but somehow he went with something, I would say, even dumber. I mean, I I kind of 
figured they weren't going to make it to the towers when an hour and 40 minutes of the runtime had already passed. I wasn't watching the clock that hard. I was feeling the clock. I wasn't (laughs) looking at the clock ever, but I knew it had to have been. (laughs) Um... You you guys good rating it? Yeah, let's okay, go. Okay, I'll just I'll just make this my rating. So this movie is dumb as hell. I will say I was very entertained in the last 45 minutes, but the problem with it is the last 45 minutes being dumb as hell and screaming how dumb as hell it is really undermines the rest of the movie, um which tries hard to be serious and fails at it. Um I wish it was dumb as hell and was just screaming that throughout the whole movie, but unfortunately it was not. Um, so while it was very enjoyable in the, the last 45 minutes, it is still a very bad movie. I'm going to give it a uh, two and a half, actually. I'm going to give it a two and a half. Um, very low two and a half. I was leaning towards two, but I'll go two and a half. Yeah, I I can agree with a lot of that. Like, I, I only started enjoying it when it got really fucking stupid, but a lot of that felt really undeserved as well. And the fact that I had to sit through well over an hour of just boring, almost recapping and rehashing shit from the previous two movies. I, I can't say that I would want to sit through all of that again just for the 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 fun, stupid payoff. You couldn't at the strap end. me down. Uh so yeah, I'm I'm gonna give it a two out of five. I I've definitely seen worse, but I ultimately think that there's no reason for this movie to have been made, and I'll stand by that. Enjoy Split and Unbreakable as as their own standalone things, and just avoid Glass. I would say. Um, I, I, I I'm it's hard for me to think of a time I've regretted seeing a movie. Uh, I I really I I loathe I loathe this film. Was this worse than The Nun for you? Um, I honestly, I hold them on about the same point. This, this Would film, you say your expectations for this were higher than The Nun? They're about the same, I think, okay. going in. Okay. I, was, I was both like, uh, this probably isn't going to be good. And because, I was, like, astounded by how terrible they were. Because you were saying this, you never regretted seeing a movie more. And I think, communally, that's probably the other most, <laughs> the other yeah. worst experience. Um, no, 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 it's, it's worth bringing up. Uh, I... I really regret both those films, but this one to me almost felt even more personal. I don't even know if I had that much fun with the latter sequence. Like, it is kind of, it was fun picking it apart, but even then it was very easy to pick apart. It was, for me, only really the last 20 minutes of, of that film. I'm just looking back at sequences for that film, and I just see black. Like, I'm just mad. No uh, holds at, barred, my dude. And how yeah. terrible that, that film was for me. I wouldn't. I wouldn't wish that movie on anyone. Again, like I was. I was giggling along once or twice, but I was groaning, and just what the fuck are you doing nonstop? Yeah, no, it's a one. It's a one. Like I. I hated it. I absolutely hated it. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, that's an average of one point eight out of five for Glass. Um, yeah, it's a pretty dumb bad movie, and I. I think I. Even despite the fun that I had at the end of it, I can say that it's a, a pretty safe movie to avoid. <clears throat> I um, would definitely not see it in the theaters. Oh yeah. God, no! And even God, then, no. and then honestly, like if you've seen the other two, if you if you stream it or however else you watch it, then just cut to the end. I don't do that. Yeah, me. and I'll even contend, you know, like it's not 
M Night's worst movie it's by not. any means. I don't think so I would, either. I'd probably put it in the middle yeah, of his quality. Good. Which I mean, it's just a testament, right? I mean, that film isn't even his worst. Like, good God, yeah. you're right though. Like, yeah. yeah, like Avatar's horrid. Like, there's wow, man. Yeah, glass, yeah. glass is a glass isn't a good movie. I don't. I didn't find it quite as offensive as you did but it's definitely not a good movie yeah um unbreakable trilogy more like unforgivable trilogy. <laughs> yeah, seriously um i want to give two shout outs before we finish up here okay. uh one to uh salt bay who got a <laughs> uh very this episode was sponsored by do <laughs> you want to do this no okay i'm too tired okay blame uh, the movie if, if you're sad you didn't get a sponsor this one it's 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 glasses fault salt bay got a very dated reference in the very beginning of the movie well wait you know what maybe i should do a sponsorship for this or maybe uh mrs um what was her name uh who did our sponsorship last week uh Clotilda? Clotilda. You know, maybe Clotilda should 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 do one. I, I think that that's only fair. Let me let me go get her real quick. Okay. Oh shit, guys. Uh we have a bit of a problem. Um or a bit of a twist. Uh Clotilda's killed herself. Oh no. Um, she saw she saw glass and she couldn't handle it even more than I could, and she she just had a sign around her herself that just said, uh, saw glass, can't unsee. So sorry for that shitty twist. But uh, I guess there actually isn't isn't a sponsorship after all. Damn, subverting expectations mm-hmm. yet again. Bye, Clotilda. <laughs> oh, special shout out to the really weird and unnecessary uh, M Night cameo. Oh, oh so bad. Oh yeah, we're like not only do we we see him again playing the same character as he was in Unbreakable. Instead of having, like, some subtle tie-in saying, like, he's the same guy from Unbreakable, he literally turns around and just says, Oh, hi, you look familiar, Mr. Bruce Willis. Didn't you used to work at the football stadium? Who I would have seen you once in a massive crowd of people of, like, and have, there's no way on God's You me down one time. I used to get into some shady stuff in my younger days, but I turned it around through the power of positive thinking. Okay, bye! Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Literally. <laughs> no, that was oh, so man. stupid. And the movie uh, was just full of little moments like all that. All right. Like, yeah. Well, that'll bring us to the end of this week's episode. Next week, it's uh, my choice. Going to be talking about one of my favorite horror films of all time, Clive Barker's original Hellraiser. Uh, I'm super stoked. To- gonna raise hell, gonna raise hell. Yeah, I'm super stoked to watch this movie and get to talk about it. Um, it's going to be really exciting. If you're a fan of Hellraiser, or even if you're not, uh, check back in next week. I'm not a fan of Hellraiser. Because you haven't seen it. Exactly. I'm pretty excited to see <laughs> you're it, gonna, you're It's going to be good. Yeah, you're about to be a fan of Hellraiser. <laughs> but uh, if you like the show, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at PodPeoplePod for stuff and things. Share with a friend, too. Share, yeah, share our links and shit like that. Uh, follow us on Letterboxd if you want at uh, letterboxd.com slash PodPeoplePod where we have a list of all the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to the episodes in which we talk about those. Share those with your friends as well. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Mr. Van Awesome if you want. I'm at Mr. Sheets. Uh, I'm occasionally tweeting for Light Arc Studio because uh, we've got It Stairs Back coming out. You've heard Hi. the plug. Get excited. It's going to be good. Uh, and uh, you can also find my work on ArtStation as well under Cleveland Mosier or Iron Prism. 
better work than fucking glass was that's for sure um but yeah thank you as always for listening and uh we're the pot people until next time drink milk and reinforce your bones first name mister last name glass goodbye (laughs) 